Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Lord, we thank you for the new song that is in our hearts. This morning, we are refreshed in the reality of what you have done in history, what you have chosen for us, and what you have accomplished in redeeming us from our sin through the obedience, the blood shed, and the the resurrection power and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you this morning. Father, thank you for the gift to be in your presence, to be refreshed in these things, to fellowship together at your table, to sing songs to you in fellowship and in gladness and fullness of heart. We thank you, our Father God. Thank you for accepting us into your throne room. Now we pray, Lord, that you would um, show us your will and from your word. We pray that your word would speak, Lord. And we ask this in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We'll read the word of the Lord in a moment. Thank you so much, congregation, for the invitation to and the privilege of sharing the word with you this morning. Um, how many people had a good time fellowshipping at Presbytery together? I know already that for me, uh, this is a highlight of 2015. There are very few things in life as satisfying to the soul as cultivated um, fellowship between the children of God. And I thank you, and I think the whole, all the other churches thank you for your service in creating a wonderful environment once again for um, the work of the Presbytery, but also the fellowship to happen. Thank you very much for all who worked on that and gave toward that. So if you're like me, you are refreshed, you're challenged, you're short on sleep, um, but I hope you're inspired to um, continue living boldly and joyfully for the Lord Jesus. Well, I'm a counselor, not normally a preacher, though I do it from time to time. Preachers are used to um, doing the exposition of the Word to the congregation for maybe 45 minutes more or maybe less, depending on your denomination. I'm used to working with people in chunks of an hour or two, and a lot of times my meetings with people are in barns or boats or fishing shacks or cafes, and they can run hours. So. What time are we supposed to be done here? Uh, I started counseling back in 95 after following God's call to seminary in my 30s. My intern year was spent part-time with missionary families, returning from the fields um, after years or sometimes only months of service on the mission field. They came back to the U.S., for counseling in the agency I was working in, and they came from places like Cameroon, Turkey, France, Africa, Asia, all kinds of places where they'd been pouring out their lives for the gospel. And they came with a hundred different backgrounds, families and talents, but when they finally showed up in my office, 
they all had one thing in common. Their lives, their dreams, their work, their families, their missionary teams were all crumbling due to some unresolved conflict. And they had been unable to stand together on the field because when trials came, instead of being pulled together, drawn together, they were pulled apart by those trials. And there were tears in their eyes and ache in their hearts and dozens of questions as to what went wrong, why. There was bewilderment. Why, Lord, I gave you everything. Why did it fall apart? And will I ever be able to go back and serve you? They were brimming with questions and the answers were not easy. I faced the same haunting questions and empty eyes, the same hurting individuals when I took a year of sabbatical work and went to the province of Quebec, Canada to work among pastors and church leaders, a work that rapidly expanded to work with leaders in the United States and families in the United States as well. And it was the unmet need of particularly church leaders and Christian families, home-educating families, that turned one year of sabbatical into now 11 years running, doing this full-time. It's been exhilarating and it's been heartbreaking work many times. So counseling believers, discipling, exhorting, sitting with believers in their, their trials and their lessons, the Lord sends their way is central to my life. The love in particular of listening to the hearts of pastors and church leaders and the lifelong call that God's given me to tend the shepherds of his kingdom. This is, this is where I'm coming from this morning. It's who I am. So it is with very much these men and women and families that I serve and particularly the leaders of God's church that I'm that I stand before you this morning um, and I'm grateful for the faith and the, the, the faithfulness that is represented in this room by God's grace. Um, I thank you for the encouragement that you are from afar and especially the encouragement that you've been this week. Thank you for the testimony of families standing together for the kingdom. Thank you for the sacrifice of service of Phil and Gary and Rodney, and all the rest who were part of this week. And I take this morning's assignment very, very seriously because when I think of you, I think of your stand for the gospel. You have a reputation in Omaha for standing for the gospel. And I think of this stand in the coming decades. And the future pastors, husbands, wives, and children in this very room that are being prepared for the battle of the gospel. Several weeks ago, I began to wonder, what would the Lord <clears throat> have me to bring to you all this morning? As particularly as a text and a, a word that would come as a, uh, at the end of the closure of, uh, part of the closure of the end of this Presbytery week. There is a word from the Lord in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. So if you'll stand, we'll read the word of the Lord together. Philippians 1, 27. Philippians 1, 27, Paul writes, 
Let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Blessed be the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So this morning I want to talk about this, the subject of the stand that we see in this verse, what it means to stand fast in one spirit, what it means to strive together with one mind for the gospel. I picture Paul as he was writing this epistle to the believers at Philippi. I see him sitting in a prison cell, probably in Rome. It's dark. There's a candle burning as he dictates to Epaphroditus, his beloved comrade in the work. Flickering light falls on, on Paul's weathered face, seamed with scars, the marks of Christ and of a life abandoned to his calling. Through the long night, Paul pours out his heart to one of the churches he loves most dearly, the believers at Philippi. From the night he dreamed of the beckoning man from Macedonia to the unasked for love offering that he received in prison, Paul has called this small gathering his dearly beloved, his joy and crown. Now, perhaps in the last years of his life, he's writing a final epistle to them, and he's hoping to see them in person if God grants him the privilege. As he writes, there's one theme that stands out again and again in his letter to the believers at Philippi, and that is of their unity in faith and their belief, their unity in faith and belief and their joy. Look at this plea as it unfolds throughout some of the lines of his letter. In every prayer of mine for you all, I make request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. Stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if there be any fellowship of the Spirit, any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that you may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Do all things without murmuring and disputing, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together with me. And finally, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy, my crown, stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Euodius, I beseech Syntyche, 
that they be of the same mind in the Lord. In the course of our journey with the people of the cross, every so often the Lord will give us a glimpse through a glimpse through the dull glass of reality into eternity. A glimpse that can be used to touch us at the deepest places and to shape our understanding and our viewpoint. At the center of eternity is the fellowship of the Trinity. Every time we are drawn away from our own human distractions and glimpse this reality, this fellowship of God Himself, and that we share in through Christ, our lives are changed. We are left not the same, for we see what we were actually made for and what we are anticipating in the life to come. And I believe as Paul's life was drawing to its, near to its end, he could see with ever-increasing clarity the heavenly reality for which he had fought so hard and had poured out his life. And as he became more and more gripped by the knowledge that he would soon be with Christ, he sought with every fiber of his being to build up the churches that God had entrusted to his care. As you know, Paul was no stranger to conflict. He had seen conflict in Jerusalem with the Jewish traditions and Gentile converts. He'd been deeply hurt by personal conflict with Barnabas. He had watched churches in Asia turn away from him, as described in his letters to Timothy. And he had repeatedly warned Timothy that conflicts and dissensions would spring up among the saints. He had spent his life for the sake of bringing the light of the gospel to those who did not know Christ. Yet he knew that even as men and women believed and were converted, they too would struggle with conflicts that would threaten to tear apart and destroy their witness for Christ. So in his one recorded letter to the Philippian church, he pleads with them to be unified, to love one another in truth, to stand in one spirit for the fight of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, I want to suggest this morning that to you and to me is given the same call. To you is given the call first to believe on Christ with your whole heart, mind, and strength, and second, to us is given the call to love one another as ourself. To you is given the call to forgive offenses and to let go of bitterness. To you is given the call to choose unity over division, peace over strife, generosity over envy, joy over discord, and the sufficiency of Christ over the temptation to fixate our lives on obtaining things. To you is given the call not just to stand as individuals, but as a people of God, a set-apart priesthood of the Lamb of God. If we, the people of God, actually answer this call, the world will see what it means to live in harmony and selflessness. What is more, people will see where our real treasure is. They do see where our treasure is. What matters most to us, whether it is Christ or whether it is self. We, the people of this denomination, the members of Presbyterian Covenant Church, most of us have life relatively easy. 
We think we face trials and difficulties, but they're only a shadow of the persecutions of our brethren around the globe. On a Sunday morning, we may wonder how to deal with such and such a person who is so needy, or a person X who is distant and abrasive, or little Johnny who always has his fingers in the food and the potluck line. I, don't, I do not mean to oversimplify. I know that many of you, if not all of you, have difficult and complex issues that you're facing. Indeed, life seems fraught with conflict. But about 6,700 miles away from where we're sitting right now, it's heading toward evening in Iraq. And some of our siblings have been ki- in Christ have been killed by ISIS probably today. Somewhere there's a weeping mother, a grief-stricken father, childless parents. They're living in a gaping hole of pain. They're hiding under cover. They're clinging to a single thread of hope that is the unflinching, unfailing, uncompromising love of Jesus Christ. They're gathering in bombed-out buildings, running under cover, fearing capture. They're quietly gathering and singing and praying together. Brothers and sisters, these are the remnant. And these, for them it doesn't matter. It's not important if they have secondary or differences on secondary issues of doctrine or lifestyle, application, convictions. These people can't afford to be in conflict, to be divided, to be split because there's a much greater battle to fight, the battle for their very faith. God calls us to stand together, to stand in unity of spirit, striving for the faith of the gospel, to stand with those in Iraq and all around the world, those who are holding forth the words of life, to stand with one another despite our sins and sometimes petty disagreements and awkward moments. A few months ago, perhaps you heard that Samaritan's Purse reported from Iraq, I believe it was, that three teenagers went to martyrs' deaths together. Teenagers, they refused to renounce their faith in Jesus Christ and went to their deaths. And I want to ask us, do we have that kind of faith? So the question we have to answer this morning is not so much do we understand this call? The question is will we answer and obey this call of Christ? In the Gospel of Matthew, we are called to stand as a light in a dark world. We are the light of the world, a city on the hill, the salt of the earth. So why are we to be such a spectacle in the world? Because we are a peculiar people, we turn the other cheek. We think not only of our own things, but of the things of others. We bear each other's burdens. We lend to the poor, not hoping for repayment. We submit to one another. We bless when we are cursed. We we return good for evil. Of all the people of the earth, we are called to be the people of love that display the love of God. True love, the Father's love, is a love that is strange to the world, which is why Jesus said that they will know that we are Christians by this love. 
This love that is a tiny glimmer of the pure, overshadowing love that is shared within the Trinity. Christ calls us to be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. The only way we can possibly do that is to stand together and not divided. We are called not only to be a light of the world, but to be the body of Christ to one another. Every church faces conflict. We all have seen disagreements between individuals, families, even elders. Sometimes the conflict is minor. Who will play the piano next week? Sometimes the conflict has as its center a very deep root of bitterness. Conflict happens to all of us both inside and outside the church, and when conflict strikes a church, we have a choice. Draw together or draw apart. Obviously, it's easier to draw apart. It's easier, as Brother Rodney was saying, to distance from one who you have ought against, has ought against you. But what does the Scripture say? According to James, conflict in the church is at least often, he doesn't even qualify it as often, James says it is a product of lust. He writes, from where come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts, that war in your members? You lust and have not, you kill, you desire to have, you cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not, because you ask not. But you ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts. You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. So according to James, when we allow conflict in the church, we are at enmity with God. Does that sound too strong? The Proverbs state that God hates the person who sows discord among brethren. Earlier in James' epistle, he urges, if you have bitter envying and strife, in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. The wis this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. As a counselor, a lot of my job resolves around resolving conflict. And I believe that about 99% of conflict in the church, in church division, is rooted in interpersonal conflict and not theological difference. This is true even in our own denomination. Personality conflicts develop, sides are formed, and believers become more invested in defending their position and their perceived rights than in humbling themselves in a way that would bring glory to God. Which of us have not been a party to some minor quarrel or conflict such as this? Haven't we all over the years taken things personally rather than choosing to forgive and let go as Christ forgave us? Yet as the Scripture reminds us, we are one body as the bride of Christ. For as, one, as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, many members, one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit 
We all are baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now they are many members, yet one body. Paul writes also, Brethren, you have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an occasion for the flesh, but by love serve one another. So conflict happens, and it happens for a reason. That we would become more Christ-like, forgiving and forbearing of one another. It gives us an opportunity to display this. There are two responses, once again, to conflict. Draw together or draw apart. Years ago, there was an annual adventure race we used to follow as a family that required teams of four to traverse hundreds of miles of the roughest terrain on the globe. By the time they, they had to stay together and they had to finish together as a team in order to be uh, counted. By the time the first 24 hours had passed, you could tell which teams would drop out early and which teams had a chance of making the finish line. The winning teams were marked by discipline, cultivated loyalty, and a determination to support the weaker members. I remember watching one brutal mountain biking leg when a member of a leading team experienced severe debilitating cramping. And rather than the other team members riding ahead or getting frustrated because they were losing their lead, the strongest teammate strapped a bungee cord to the bicycle of the hurting team member, member's bike, and the two continued on, ultimately to victory. It's a wonderful display of servanthood and cooperation. You can guess about the converse. Many teams dissolved into blame, arguments, and coldness toward one another. The physical obstacles for them pulled the team apart rather than binding together. We also are in a race, the race for our faith, the race for our life. There will doubtless be obstacles, mistakes, sins, and we have a simple choice whether we will forgive one another and draw together or let bitterness fester and pull us apart as the children of God. As Paul writes, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, let us endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Finally, we are called as the body of Christ to stand together in exhortation and sharpening of one another. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens his friend. When we come together to meet, as we are this morning, each of us should have a song, a psalm, a word of exhortation, something to speak into another person's life to push that person onwards toward Christ-likeness. This is Christian Body Life 101. 
sharpening requires a high level of attentiveness to others, a keen interest in what God is doing in other people's lives. It, it takes attunement to things of the Spirit rather than our normal natural mode, which is to be focused mentally and emotionally on our own interests and needs. Here's a glimpse of that kind of spiritual attunement. A few years ago, I had a morning flight out of Oklahoma City, and as I went through the airport check-in and security, I was, I was thinking of the Lord and I, um, His goodness. I, I had a, an enjoyment, a joy about me, and I wish I could say this is always the case, that I just kind of waltzed joyfully in the Lord through airports, but this was really rather unusual. Often I'm preoccupied with getting to my gate and looking at my watch and looking for a place to get a cup of coffee. So this day, as I put my bags on the conveyor belt, the TSA guy smiled and asked me how I was doing, and he did so in a very surprisingly genuine kind of way. I paused a second, and I said, thanks, I'm doing great. This is the day that the Lord has made. Again, I wish I could say that I just go about quoting Scripture to strangers and um, but this was unusual. And here's what happened next. Without missing a beat, this man looked me in the eye and he said enthusiastically, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. That, brothers and sisters, was incredible attunement. That connection in that moment was a result of two people being attuned in the realm of the Spirit. I got to my plane just amazed at the experience I just had with a stranger based on a verse of God's Word. The memory of that moment is vivid and special in my memory. And yet, it is a mere sliver of what we can experience in our day-to-day -day lives with our, close, our relationships in the family and the church. That was a passing moment with an unknown brother in the Lord. I think he was a brother. Just think what can happen in the church and our families when we have our mind on the Lord and are looking for opportunities to connect and strengthen those in our families and church community. Just think what can be when we refuse to be blunted by conflict. Attention to the spiritual needs of others, the kind of care that reaches past our own preoccupations, interests, and conflicts is powerful. And it is vitally necessary in the life of the church. I've, I've many, seen, many times seen men tear up just to be asked a straightforward, gut-level question about what they're really struggling with or can I pray with you about that thing right now? The men in today's church face a monumental struggle for purity. In the majority of cases, that battle is being lost with catastrophic results. And as a counselor and accountability coach for many such men, I have come to a firm conclusion about the church and effective body life. I believe the problem of immorality in the church is largely a sin of omission. The failure of Christian brothers to stand with one another in discipline and accountability, loving accountability. Yes, that person failed when they, he or she made a terrible choice, 
But yes, we failed as a body when we did not reach out to that weak limb. When we never asked about the temptations they were facing. When we never went out of our way on a Sunday morning to just walk across the room and start a conversation with a person. In wartime, if you let your comrades down, you're a traitor or maybe at best a coward. So when we let our siblings down in a church, what are we? What are we? We need to get real and get honest about standing alongside each other in the fight to know and to follow Jesus Christ. We need to cast off the sin that so easily entangles us so that we can help others in their entanglement to be to become untangled. We need to make straight paths for our feet so that the lame are not stumbled and misguided. Older men like me, we need to initiate a contact with a younger man midweek for a coffee. Not, as a, not because he might be a business prospect or a maybe potential spouse for our daughter, but because we want to check in on how his spiritual walk is going. And older women, you have an amazingly powerful role in the next generation in doing similarly. The challenge and the opportunity are both here. It is up to us to make a reality out of Christ's commands to encourage and exhort one another daily. So what is the, the conclusion of the matter? Brothers and sisters, as we go forward into this year following this presbytery, God calls us to stand together, to, together in the unity of purpose for the sake of his kingdom. Throughout the scripture, he calls his righteous remnant to stand together as the light of the world. We are his peculiar people, his chosen, his beloved, his vessels to carry his word to those who have never heard of Christ or the cross. As it is written, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them that bring good news and publish peace. How are we to preach peace and light if we are consumed and divided by conflict? We are also called to serve as the body of Christ to one another, forgiving, forbearing, loving one another, looking past faults and hurts, and showing the world the power of the transforming love of Jesus Christ. The love of Christ is transforming because it gives us the power to love each other as Christ would, not according to our own fleshly natures. And finally, we are called to stand with each other in accountability and exhortation. The day of eternity is fast approaching. Let us prepare. Let us strengthen each other in the word. Let us run this race together with endurance. It's difficult to battle temptation alone, but we are not to stand alone. Look at this final text from Exodus, a story that sums up the power of standing together in the fight for the gospel. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did, as Moses had said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on one side and the one on the other side. 
and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Friends, let's hold up one another's arms. Let us be the light to the world. Let us be a unified body of Christ. Let us be a purpose-guided team of accountability and encouragement. Just think what we can accomplish in the Lord's kingdom by His grace when, we, when our churches look like this. So the call is here. The challenge is before us. It's not an easy call. Every fiber in our old man resists from pride, bitterness, revenge, selfishness, apathy. When conflict comes, it's so much easier to feel hurt and misunderstood and to lash out at a spouse, a sibling, a parent, a friend, or just to walk away. That is how most church splits happen. Not because there was something worth dividing the bride of Christ over, but because two personalities weren't willing to stay and work out their differences. As Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And Christ said, whoever will come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. The cross stands at the center of history, and it stands at the center of our lives and it poses a simple question. Will we walk our own road, the wide and the easy, or will we surrender to our Lord? Brethren, let this mind be in us which was also in Christ who deemed it not robbery to be equal with God, but humbled himself and made himself a servant. And being found as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Christ every knee should bow and every tongue proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What is holding you back this morning? What hinders you from answering the call of Jesus Christ in your particular circumstances and issues and conflicts today? Get up, bring it to Christ. See the bondage fall away from you like soiled clothing. Experience a freshly cleansed heart today. See Christ heal your relational wounds. Come today into freedom and joy and the sweet pleasure of God. This morning we are called to let go of ourselves, to take up our cross to surrender our conflicts, to stand with Christ and with one another, together for his kingdom and for his marvelous gospel. I implore you, brothers, sisters, children, myself, answer this call today. Let us pray. O oh, living God, we come to you a people still, though you have removed our condemnation, Lord, that you did not look upon us as dirty sinners. We know that we sin every day of our lives. We repent of it, Lord, and we repent specifically today of dividing from one another, of holding ought against one another, of, of going days, weeks, months, years with offenses that we have not cleared with another person. Oh, God, have mercy on us. Forgive us for this sin, for we know that it does not it dulls us and does not reflect your glory. 
It does not reflect how you loved us, demonstrated that we were to love one another. Thank you, Father God, for your forgiveness. Thank you for your sanctifying work in us, for your word, that you do not leave us alone. But even this morning, you've shown us from your word what you desire, which is that we stand with one another in love, we forgive one another, we clear our slates. We thank you, O oh Father God, for your great love for us, for showing us the way of life, what genuine love is. May your word be blessed this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.